Turn with me to Psalm 51, please. Psalm 51. Beginning to read at verse 1. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only, have I sinned. And done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part thou shalt make me know, make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your loving kindness. Thank you for your mercy. We thank you, Father, for the blood of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that you gave him for us. That he went all the way to Calvary, the place of the skull, and there he shed his blood that a guilty, vile, hell-deserving sinner like this man might go free and be saved for time and for eternity. Lord, your love is past our finding out. And yet, Lord, we rely completely on you, trust totally in you. Father, we thank you. Even as we have been singing, you've left your blessed spirit in our hearts, whereby we can now cry, being adopted into thy family, Abba, Father. We thank you, Lord, that we can say you are our Father which art in heaven, and we return to thee, hallowed be thy name. Glorify your Son, May thy spirit and your word have its way in this meeting, whether there's someone watching or in this meeting tonight, Father. We pray that you, Lord, would move from seat to seat and heart to heart. 
We pray that Christ will have the preeminence in all that is said and done this evening. Glorify him through this vessel of clay. Anoint me with fresh oil, pure and holy. Lord, that I may speak the oracles of God. Thus and thus saith the Lord. We pray, Father, that hearts would be touched tonight and dealt with as you deem it fit to do. We ask it in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Amen. Tonight we want to speak on the topic. The title is When the King Was Caught On. When the King Was Caught On. The opening title before verse 1 sets this psalm in order and gives us a background and a backdrop to why the psalmist David, who is king in Israel, is writing such a psalm. It was said of David that he was a man after God's own heart, yet we know he sinned greatly. 1 Samuel 13 and 14 tells us that he is this one who is after the very heart of God. And now in this psalm, he pleads with Yahweh for forgiveness and mercy. David has grievously sinned, and his sin has been discovered by Nathan the prophet. His sin has been revealed, discovered by Nathan the prophet. Notice what the scriptures tell us in Numbers 32 and verse 23. Behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. Behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. David had sinned and thought he had gotten away with it, that no one would know, sin grievously, and he thought none other would know, but the Lord knew, and his sin found him out. In this little verse of Numbers 32 and verse 23, Behold, ye have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. The little word find here is the word saw, And it really does need looked at before we go any further this evening. For example, in Genesis 6 and verse 8, it says, And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, the, the Lord told Noah to build an ark. And he told him the dimensions of it. And he said that there was going to be a flood, and, and hence... Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, the word saw means to discover in the sense that as something is revealed. It means to appear. It's not that Noah was looking for grace in the sense where he was searching and looking for something in the midst of this or that he even knew about this until God had said there would be a flood. It was God's grace that told him, build the ark. It's God's grace which gave him the dimensions of the ark. And it was God's grace. And God said to him, there would be this flood. And all who were in the ark were saved. And all who were outside of the ark would perish. The word Noah found grace, matzah, means grace in some sense. We don't know how. In some sense appeared to Noah. 
Was it a theophany of the Lord? I don't know. Was it a voice of God just? I don't know. But it says that the grace appeared. In other words, it was discovered from being hidden in God and revealed unto Noah. It's the same word where it says, be sure your sin will find you out that it will sooner or later come to the surface. It will develop itself and be put out to the forefront and it will come out from the secret place. I think of Psalm 46 in verse 1 and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And the word present there is the word mot saw for found or find. God is our refuge and strength, a very appearing, a very discovered strength and help in time of trouble. In other words, there's times when we feel as believers that we are, as it were, going to sink, we're going to go under, that we're not going to do, and suddenly God shows his grace to us. We fail him at times and suddenly feeling that we, uh, we cannot stand before him. He shows us his grace and his mercy and his love. It's the same word here for a very present. The word present is motsah. Let me go a little further with it before we uh, go on in our message this evening. Isaiah the prophet in chapter 55 and verse 6 says this. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. And what the the prophet is saying under the inspiration of the Spirit is, he's saying that when you realize, when God is revealing himself in conviction to you, when God is speaking to you and into your heart, that he's, as it were, discovering himself, bringing it from where he is secret, as it were, as invisible to the human eye, but making himself known to you through the preaching of his word and the spirit. And hence the prophet in Isaiah 55 and 6 says, Seek ye the Lord while you know he can be found of you. While you know when you seek him, he's promised that you will find him. And call upon him while he is near. There's a man or a woman tonight and God has been speaking to you. God has been, as it were, discovering himself, appearing, as it were. I don't mean to your eyes, but into your spirit, into your mind, into your heart, even through his word, that you'll find that this word means that he will appear in the sense where you're under maybe conviction. Maybe even he's bringing a a sense of comfort to you that you'll realize that God is saying, I am here. Draw in, draw near, draw close. He shows himself and he appears as it were. He discovers himself that you and I might know that he is with us. Call ye upon him then while he is near. Listen to Isaiah again, 65 and verse 1. The Lord says, I am sort of them that ask not for me. He's speaking to Israel because they didn't want to know as a nation. They walked away from God and they weren't really too fussy at all whether God was with them or no. They weren't looking after God. They weren't calling after God. And notice here what he's saying. I am sort of them that ask not. Speaks of you. Speaks of me, doesn't it? There's nothing in us that wanted Christ. Nothing in us that would call on him. There was nothing in us that would desire him. 
And notice what he says. I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought me not. In other words, he's the one. The word found is the same again. I am had to come to them. I had to leave heaven as it were. I had to extend my arm. I had to send my prophets. I had to bring my word. I came down to where they were. They didn't want me, but I came. They didn't ask for me, but I'm here. And brothers and sisters and friends, it's the way our God is. We didn't want him, but he still came. He still gave his son. He still sent him to the cross. He says that I am found of them that sought me not. Again, what saw to appear to be discovered. David, you see, in his grievous sin, had gone in on the Bathsheba. He, he stayed behind when it was time for kings to go to battle. And sometimes you know fine rightly it's your time to go in to service, to battle, or whatever it was and whatever it is, and you know it's time to go, but rather in our own fleshiness, stubbornness, We decide not to go on and to follow hard after the Lord and to be obedient to his command and his drawing. And what happens is he sees Bathsheba. He sees her washing on on an outdoor ledge, a rooftop. And David had gone in on to Bathsheba and her husband Uriah the Hittite was sent to the fiercest or the hottest most part of the battle. Uriah's wife is now pregnant with David's child. And Uriah sent in on purpose through a letter sent by David. He writes a letter. Send Uriah into the hottest most part of the battle. In other words, I want him dead. Because his wife's expecting my child. If he dies, I'll marry her quick and pretend there is no sin in it. Uriah falls valiantly in battle and dies, and David and Bathsheba are seemingly off the hook, or so they think. None will know of their sin. Will you turn with me to 2 Samuel, please? 2 Samuel, chapter 12. You can read of what happened in that story in chapter 11 when you are... Uh, free enough to do so. But let's read uh, some of chapter 12, 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. I want you to notice this. It says, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David. In other words, the Lord knew what went on. Nathan didn't, but the Lord discovered it unto Nathan. And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said, There were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, But the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished up, and it grew up together with him and with his children, and it did eat of his own meat, and it drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. In other words, this one little lamb, it was like a family pet. Even greater so, it 
lay with them, and ate with them, and even he gave, he gave a drink from his cup, and he had this little bond with it. It was like a, a close family pet. Like a, he, he treated it like it was his own daughter. Verse 4, And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spurred to take of his own flock and of his herd, own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was come unto him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come. So this man with so much uh, and, and all of these flocks and herds didn't want to take one of his own from his plenty, but he went and he took this one lamb from this man. And he slaughtered it. He dressed it for this traveler. And notice what David's reply is in verse 5. And David's anger was kindled against the man and said unto Nathan, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. I notice this. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. You see, the king was caught on. The king was caught on. And Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel, and I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. And I gave thee thy master's house and thy master's wives into thy bosom, and gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given unto thee such and such things. Wherefore hast thou despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? Thou hast killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and hast taken his wife to be thy wife and hast slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Notice here the Lord says, Nathan, tell him, he is the one who has done this. Thou art the man. And the king was caught on in that which he had grievously Send in. If you notice in verse 6, it says, And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing because he had no pity. Now, we are not turned to this tonight, but in Exodus 22 and in verse 1, it tells us about restoring fourfold for lambs. It's fivefold if my memory serves me right for oxen, but it's fourfold for lambs. Do you remember Zacchaeus was up the tree as well? Remember when the Lord comes and he goes into his house and, and salvation comes to Zacchaeus' house and he, he says, I will restore fourfold. See, this is to do with the law of God for Israel. And the thing is, in this, David's anger is kindled and he's saying, this man will not only suffer the consequences, he says, I'm angry with this man. But this man will restore fourfold according to God's holy law. So here's the thing. David knew the word of God, but he had discarded and disregarded the God of the word. There are many who can cross theological T's and dot theological I's and they can tell you everything in their head, but their heart is far from God. 
David knew the law of God, but dismissed the law of the Lord. The Lord of the law, pardon me. And David knew his Bible, but was very distant from the author. You can know your Bible inside and out. You can go from Genesis to Revelation and quote chapter and verse after chapter and verse. You can tell me it from back to front and front to back, upside down and right round again. And you can be far away from not knowing the author. And David knew it because he mentions this man will pay fourfold. I know the law, he says. I know what God said to Moses about this. And he was angry against them until he heard, hold on, David, thou art the man. Ah, when the king was caught on, it was different. When the king was caught on, things were different. In Isaiah 29, in verse 13, the prophet says something else here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord Jesus in Matthew 15 and verse 8 and Mark 7 and verse 6 also mentions this to the Pharisees and to the Sadducees and the scribes of his day. He says it to the Jews who were around about him. But Isaiah 29 and 13, the prophet speaking to Israel says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Here's what I want you to see, brothers and sisters. Not only do we only see that their hearts move from it, from the Lord, but the Lord says they have moved their own heart. They made the choice. Israel made the choice. To remove God from everything in the nation. They made the choice to take God out of all things that they had. Sounds a bit like our nation today when they've removed God out of all things from our nation. And those who know better have removed their own heart from him. They had no fear of God and their hearts would not respond to him, even though the prophets were crying unto, unto them, bringing them the word of the Lord. The Hebrew writer writes, God who at sundry times and divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. And they wouldn't listen. Then he says, half in these last days spoken unto us by his son. And Christ comes. He still would not listen. They had no fear of God and their hearts would not respond to him, but instead they listened to and they responded more to the voice of man. That's what's happening today. They're hearing the voice of man. They're hearing the voice over media, social media, the voice of man. They're hearing the voice of men who don't know God, hearing the voice of men who hate God, who are self-professed atheists, and our nation is following suit. We must listen to hear. We must follow after. We must do as we're told. 
We must chase hard after this. We must be good and obey all that they say. For surely this is the right way to go. But God's voice and God's word has thundered out across our land for years. They don't want to listen to the voice of God. But they just listen to the voice of man. Remember they were saying follow the science? Oh dear. With the reports coming in, you wouldn't be following that science. Follow the science, what like I was talking to Brother Ken about it earlier. What like the Big Bang? Follow the science, even the Christians were saying, what like there's a Big Bang? We came from monkeys, that sort of sense. We're going to follow that sense. If you were to follow the sense, you'd realize that life begins at conception. And you'd realize that there's more life at conception and more precious it is than the egg of some sort of bird. That's the way our nation has went. That's the mentality of the people. That's the mentality of it. David would find out the biblical concept as spoken earlier by Samuel the prophet to King Saul before him. I mentioned this this morning. I'm going to mention it a little bit more this evening. 1 Samuel 15 and 22. Saul was told to wipe out all of the enemy. He was told to take Agag and all of those people and all of their flocks and everything and totally wipe them out. You may say, but that's so cruel. But you see, they were doing that because they were infiltrating Israel. And when they did, they would become unpure. They would be Uh, like illegal immigrants coming in to suck their services dry. God says, no. Bringing in their other gods, God said, no. Saul thought he knew better than God and he, he kept the few to the side and he spared the king and he sent Samuel the prophet who was, who was furious. He carried out that which God had told him to do, which Saul had denied himself doing. First Samuel 15, 22. Listen to what Samuel says to Saul. Half the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord. Do you know what he's saying? Oh, I know what you're going to do now. You're going to try and make it up to God. Sure, look at us. Aren't we great? Look at us. Aren't we wonderful? We're going to give you this little bit, Lord, but we're not going to obey your word. It's a bit like the coronation, wasn't it? It's a bit like the coronation. This is a Christian coronation, reformed and all this. Is it? And so they have a Hindu read the word of God to them. They have the Sikhs coming with the ring to present it to the king. Need I go on? We'll give you a little bit, Lord. But you're not getting all of it. 
We will not obey your word to the fullness. Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? In other words, you can't please me with that. I want you to obey my word. Now notice, behold to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. In other words, if you obey me, it's better than bringing me a sacrifice. I don't want your sacrifice. I want your obedience. That's what he's saying. I don't want your sacrifice. You know what? I'll sin. I'll get it covered in the blood. And sure, that's all right. Many Christians are like, isn't it? You know what? I'll go and I'll do what I want. And I'll get it covered in the blood. And I'll just plead the mercy of God and the grace. Like David did. And nobody will know. But the king was caught on. It was discovered by God. I have a feeling there's a lot more in our land that's going to be discovered by God. I'm just praying that the Lord will raise up the prophets with the voice to bring it to the nation. Notice verse 23, just for the beginning of it. For rebellion... Not obeying him is as the sin of witchcraft. Would you say witchcraft? Witchcraft. This is a strange word. I fought with this for a while to try and get to the bottom of it. It's the word kesem, and it means, it gives the idea, we think of witchcraft as, you know, sorcery, hocus-pocus sort of stuff and all that sort of stuff. You know, we think of it, you know, maybe satanic services. It doesn't mean that here. You know what it means? It gives the idea of divine or so-called divine sentences being spoken and falseness by a so-called prophet. Listen, we don't need to kill all of these people. We don't need to rid all the land of it. For thus and thus saith the Lord. The idea of it. The Lord says, this witchcraft, that's what he calls it. It gives the idea of false prophets spoken from another spirit. I wonder what other spirits are prevailing even in many churches today. I wonder what the the spirits are that are claiming prophetic utterances over people. You know the sort of line up and we'll give you your word today, your prophetic utterance. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm a Pentecostal, don't get me wrong, and I'm, I'm all for uh, prophecy and so forth, so don't get me wrong. But sometimes, even in our nation, it's another spirit that's leading, that's prompting, and that's guiding it. You have prophetic utterance from Westminster. You know the prophetic utterances that say that we're going to be all underwater in about 15 years? So we better worship the ground we walk on. Listen, Christian, you know what this Bible says? This Bible says Jesus is coming again. You know what this Bible says? There's going to be a new heaven. And a new earth wherein dwells righteousness. 
That's what that says. And there's people, Christians, churches, what they're doing, they're worshiping Mother Earth by giving over the gospel, the time for the word of God unto these sort of things. So-called Mother Earth, I didn't call it that night. Notice this, brothers and sisters. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You have to wonder, what is the rebellion in some of our hearts like? For we must be careful that the spirit we're listening to is the Holy Spirit and not the voice of another one. David went from looking at Bathsheba to lusting after her. He went from lingering on his balcony to longing for her to lying with her. Then it went to writing the letter for his death. Writing the letter for his death. And Nathan the prophet says unto David, Thou art the man. You're the one. Oh, you're angry, David. Imagine doing that. How dare he do that? If I got my hands on him, you know, all those sort of things people say, oh, if he was like this, oh, I, I, I would sort him out. He'll pay fourfold. And Nathan says, thou art the man. Are you angry at your own sin rather than others? Oh, aye, there's people who will point the finger at your sin and forget their own. Notice, he says, Thou art the man, and the king was caught on. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, listen to what he says. Sin is the dare of God's justice, the rape of his mercy, the jeer of his patience, the slight of his power, and the contempt of his love. David opening up in Psalm 51, to the chief musician, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone into Bathsheba. And he starts off with, Have mercy upon me, O God. Notice David appeals, David appeals to God's merciful nature. He's appealing to God's merciful nature before the mention of his sin. You see, the Lord's already sent Nathan. Nathan's already told him, thou art the man. He can't hide and he can't run from God. It doesn't matter what David does. It doesn't matter if he tries to hide in his castle. It doesn't matter if he runs away and hides in the desert. He knows that God will find him. The only thing he can do is he comes before God and all of his sin Adultery, lying, murder. Imagine God would, imagine God would forgive sins like that. 
Imagine God would forgive a man like that. Well, he forgave me. He forgave you. And David appeals to the the merciful nature of God. Have mercy on me, O God, because he doesn't even mention his sin at this point because he knows God knows. He knows God is already ahead of him and so he mentions mercy before the sin. You know what mercy is? So grace is when we receive that which we do not deserve. Isn't that right? It's unmerited favor. What mercy is when we do not receive that which we do deserve. After all he's done, we know what he deserves and you and I may point the finger at David and we may think the worst of him. But you see, you and I don't see David when we read the Psalms. We see his humanness. We see his feelings. Yes, we do. We understand them. But you know what we see? We see a mighty man of God, don't we? We see a prophet of God. We see a king in Israel. We see the sweet psalmist of Israel or singer of Israel. That's what we see. You know why? Because he's been washed in the blood and he's covered with the Holy Ghost. And that's what God sees when he sees you. And all of your faults and your failings, when you're under the blood of the Lamb, when you're washed in the blood of Christ, you're clothed with his garments of righteousness. Mercy is when we do not receive that which we do deserve. David, you deserve to be judged as this. You're a murderer. David, you're a man with blood in your hands. We could line it up what David is and what David's done. And sure, I could line it up what you have done too. Couldn't we? We could line it up what I've done. I could line up my past. And if I was to start writing it here, I'd probably run off the stage. But you see, when you come to God, have mercy on me, O God. And he's a merciful saviour. He's a merciful God. And Psalm 51 has tones of shame, tones of dread, and tones of need and remorse, but repentance. Notice this sweet psalmist of Israel seems to have lost his song. He seems to have lost his song. And I'll tell you, the sweet psalmist of Israel has certainly and definitely, the man after God's own heart has lost his joy. Has lost his joy. For example, in verse 8 of Psalm 51, please. In verse 8, just let me get a drink. It says, he says, make me to hear joy and gladness. Make me to hear joy and gladness. You see, the idea of this is, is because he feels bereft, he feels bereft of God's presence. He hasn't heard words of forgiveness yet. He hasn't heard words of pardon yet. 
And what he's saying is, Lord, I'm carrying this burden. I'm carrying this heavy load. I'm carrying this great weight of sin which I've done and committed. Have mercy on me. He starts pleading for forgiveness and for cleansing. And he said, make me to hear joy. You see, brothers and sisters and friends, that's what happens when we fall out of line with God. He never leaves us, but we have a sense of where are you? That we are carrying a load that we need not carry and and we have a burden that we can lay down if we come to the feet of Christ. But And here he says, make me to hear joy and gladness. And the word joy here is a word shashon and it means uh, a gladness or cheerfulness. I want to. I want to be cheery. I want. I want to be joyful again in this walk of mine. You ever been like that, Lord? I want to be joyous in my heart. I want to. I want to. I want to walk in love with you. I want to know that I'm forgiven. I want to hear the joy of it. I want you to be near me, and when I sing the songs, I want my heart to burst with love for you. But I've lost it. It's gone. And in verse 12, Shashon for joy is used again. He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. For someone you've lost the joy of salvation. The joy of salvation. David has no joy. He hears nothing but rehearsal of sin in his ears. Said again, he hears nothing but the rehearsal of sin in his ears. In other words, his conscience is telling him what you have done is wrong. It doesn't matter if you think you alone know it. It doesn't matter if you feel you've got away with it. There's men who have done atrocities in our nation years ago. And I mean years ago. Some have done recently, but years ago. They think they've got away with it. I hope their conscience is burning them. Because there's coming a day when their sin will be found out. Just like the king, they will be found out. Maybe someone has thought, oh, years ago I'd done this and I'd done that and I got away with it. And you know, you haven't repented of it. One day it will come to light, be discovered. Be sure your sin will find you out. David has no joy and he hears nothing but the rehearsal of sin and the rehearsal of repent, repent, repent. Flesh fights against repentance. David's ear has become heavy with his sin and he has lost all joy of salvation and he's confessing all before the Lord. For example, in verse 1, he speaks of my transgressions. Blot out my transgressions, he says. In verse 2, he speaks of mine iniquities and my sin. He says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. 
In verse 3, he mentions transgressions again and sin again. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And in verse 4, he says, I sinned and done this evil. Notice what he's saying. Against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. This reminds me of, it reminds me of the time when the prodigal son took his living, his inheritance and spent it on riotous living. And when he came home to his father, he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and am no more worthy to be called thy son. He's acknowledging what he'd done. He's acknowledging his sin. He's acknowledging his waywardness. He's acknowledging spending his inheritance in God. He says, I sinned and done. Notice what he calls what he's done. This evil. This evil. I remember... Oh, years ago now, years ago. And we were in our church in Belfast, our home church. And there's a man came in, made a profession, went on for a good while, seemed to be going well. And he got baptized in water and it was all going good and it was all going great until a policeman one time from the CID was in and came to the pastors, and I was pastoring down in Dublin, so I was up with the church quite a bit, and I was in this meeting with him, and they said, see this man, and he mentioned his name. He says, do you know that he is um, a pedophile? In fact, he's a predator. He's down in every role that we can think of. You need to watch this man. So, a delegation of three of us went to visit his house in the little estate uh, beside the church. And when we got to where uh, his, his flat was, it was overlooking a child's playground. We sat down and talked to him about his salvation, what he professed. We says, well, and he, prof- he was saying all the right words, all the right things. He was, he was acting the right way, but we said, well, for a while, what we want you to do is we want you to sit with one of us in a service. Because there's children go out to the toilets and there's big corridors around the outside. And it happened to be that he was noticed walking out when sometimes the kids walked out. We said, we want you to sit beside us. And if you sit beside us in the meetings, uh, then we can keep an eye on you. And we know if you're saved, you've been washed in the blood, that's fine. But we want to keep an eye. You have to prove yourself here. And the man started turning it around that he was a victim. His sin was not before him. He was the one who was victimized. He was the one who was done in the wrong. And I remember I stood up in his living room and I said, you know what, you're not saved. You might say, you have no right to do it. Oh, yes, I have. And I'll tell you why. Because this man with all of his sins so-called forgiven. This man defended what he'd done, called himself the victim rather than a victim maker. He wasn't like David. I acknowledge my sin. You see, people don't want to be called sinners anymore. 
And he says, either you sit with us or you don't come back. Full stop. We heard shortly after that he vacated the premises. I think he had a wee rap at the door from somebody else. It wasn't us, and it wasn't the police. It was a few other people in the estate. I was pastoring in Dublin. And I used to come up to, this is the Whitewell Church. I was up at Whitewell every week, every Monday morning. And there's a letter sitting for me in the, in, the, in the desk, in the reception. Pastor, that's for you. Thank you. I'm reading it. This is 20 years ago. And I'm reading it. It was a man up in McGilligan Prison. He gave me this whole sob story why he was in prison, wrongly convicted and all of this. Can you phone me? So I'll phone through to the prison and let me talk to him. And, and he says, I'm moving to Dublin when I get out. Can I come to your church? I says, but what happened? What did you do? And he was the same. He was a pedophile, and he was a pedophile on his own nieces. And then he started, it was their fault. Told me he was saved. It was their fault. I said, no, it wasn't their fault. He says, you weren't there. I says, no, I don't have to be there. It's never their fault. It's never the child's fault, brothers and sisters. Hello? It's never the child's fault. Never, never the child's fault. And he says to me, he kept trying to contact me. And he wrote me a letter. He says, some Christian you are, what would Jesus do? So this time I did, and I wrote him a letter. And I says, Jesus says it would be better if a millstone were hanged around your neck and you were cast into the depths of the sea. And brothers and sisters, I know many Christians wouldn't want to hear that. But I'm telling you now, I don't regret it. David says, notice, against thee, and thee only have I sinned. He said, Lord, I've sinned against you. You have. But you've sinned against Uriah the Hittite. You've sinned against Bathsheba. But the sin was against the Lord. Do you know why? He broke the commandments of God. Thou shalt do no murder. Oh, it's kill. No, it's not. It's really murder. Because there are those when in the Bible it tells you that if a man takes a life, you can take his life. That if a man was to destroy a child and take its life, he should be put to death. Maybe you don't believe that, but that's what I believe the scriptures tells us. That's not murder, it's called killing. It's called killing. And it's justified in the eyes of God. Notice David has broken the law, yet he knows to repay fourfold for the lamb. He knows how to repay fourfold for the lamb. He says in verse 5, and we see that the poverty of his human nature, here it says, 
Behold, I was shaped in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. In other words, he's saying, Lord, from the very womb, even in my very DNA, I'm a sinner. Sinning does not make you a sinner. Do you know that? People go, what? Yes, sinning does not make you a sinner. You sin because you are a sinner. It's in you. Let me give you a wee example. I remember one time I was preaching this down in, near Dongannon and it was in a tent. And I preached this and I'll tell you what happened in a minute. Um, but anyway, there's this story about Mr. Scorpion comes to a river and wants to cross the river. And Mr. Scorpion gets to the river bank and Mr. Frog is swimming past and Mr. Scorpion knows he'll drown in there. Excuse me, he says, Mr. Frog. I need to get to the other side of the river. Would you let me jump on your back and would you swim over and take me over with you? Ah, says Mr. Frog. You must be joking, Mr. Scorpion, because you'll get on my back and as soon as you do, you'll wait till you get near the other side and you'll get your stinger. You'll put it into my back and you'll kill me. I promise you, says Mr. Scorpion, I promise you, Mr. Frog, I will not put my stinger in your back. I will not kill you. I promise you. I don't believe you, says Mr. Frog. And the conversation goes back and forward until Mr. Frog thinks, well, maybe he's telling the truth. And okay, get on my back. And so Mr. Scorpion jumps on Mr. Frog's back and Mr. Frog takes him across the river. And as he gets to the other side, as he's about to jump off, Mr. Scorpion takes his stinger and he puts it in to the very back of Mr. Frog. Mr. Frog lets us squeal out. Ah, Mr. Scorpion, you promised me. You promised me you wouldn't do that. Why did you do that, Mr. Scorpion? And Mr. Scorpion, turning around, looking at Mr. Frog, says, I am sorry, Mr. Frog. I can't help it. You see, it's in my nature. It's in my nature. Behold, I was shaping in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's in my nature, says David. People say I was born this way. Yeah, David was born like that, but guess what? Jesus said you must be born again. Born again. So I was in this tent one time, and I was given that illustration. And I just happened to say about Mr. Frog. And Mr. Frog comes along. And Rebecca, our Rebecca, Rebecca Wilson, she's not here. She was sitting away down the bottom of the tank. There was a frog jumped out all around her feet. She says, how did that happen? I don't know. A frog jumped out on her. Scared the life out of her. I better close this up here. Give me a few minutes. Never was an eye. David, in verse 9, speaks of all mine iniquities. All mine iniquities. See, he, he says in the verse before, For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. See, it's right there. It's right there. And when the Holy Ghost conviction comes on a man or a woman, Starts to show them their sin is right there. Do you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't say to you, why don't you try this? 
Why don't you try a bit of Jesus? Why don't you join this Jesus movement thing? Why don't you give it a wee go? He convicts you of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Your sin's right there. That's why people, well, I got saved to say a wee prayer. Listen, I'm not against people saying prayers to come to the Lord. Don't get me wrong. But it's whenever there's a repentance about it. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's right in my face every moment of the day. You go to bed and close your eyes and the Holy Ghost says you're not right. You open your eyes and the Holy Ghost says it's no good. I'm still here. And there's your sin. There's who you are. That's what you've done. And without getting saved, you're lost forever. David says, I acknowledge my transgressions. And my sin is ever before me. Against thee. Thee only if I sin. Sometimes we cheapen the precious salvation of, of the soul in Christ. By let's, let's see if I can get you over the line. Talk about me too now. I know a man and he says he's an evangelist and every day you speak to him. Oh, 40 came to the Lord today in the town. What? No, they didn't. He's seen more conversions than Peter in the day in Pentecost. No, it's real. Salvation is real. But repentance must be had and delivered into the heart by the Holy Ghost. No Holy Ghost conviction, there's no salvation. David felt as though he was being crushed. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. The bones which thou hast broken. David felt as though he was being crushed. Listen, he was. He felt his bones as if the weight he was carrying was going to crush his bones. It's not literal here, but it gives the idea that the weight he was carrying was too heavy for him. He knew now. He was found out. The king was caught on. The weight of sin had stole his joy and wear him down. But it was omnipotence that really crushed him. It was conviction that really broke him. It was repentance that truly restored him. You see, repentance is not only a turning away from sin unto God, doing a 180 degree turn. It's not just a changing off the mind. A repentance is also one coming into agreement with God of what he says about them. I agree with you, Lord. 
that I am a sinner. I agree with your word that you've told me that I am in my sin and my sin is before me and that I will be judged just as you see me. I agree with what you say about me. Do you know whenever you see these, this is my Bible. I believe all it says about me. What it says for me. What it says to me. I'll tell you what it says. It says repent and believe the gospel. It says for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says without the shedding of blood. There is no repentance for the remission of your sin. That's what it says about you. That's what it says about the sinner. Brothers and sisters, until David heard words of joy, David could not know the joy of salvation and gladness, joy of pardon. Oh, your pardon, son. You know, you know the joy of your salvation, brothers and sisters. Do you know when you were saved, uh, when you were first saved and you knew, first, when I got saved, I didn't understand. I just knew that I repented. I knew that I was going to hell on a handcart and very quickly and speedily. But I knew in the time when I heard the gospel of saving grace in Christ, whenever I called upon the name of the Lord, out of a repentant heart, my sin was before me. And I cried, help me, Lord. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, a sinner. When I said it, when I meant it, I know there's a big black rucksack, as I called it, was threw off my shoulders. And I went out like a man at the beautiful gate, you know. He went walking and leaping and praising God. And I was going, I'm saved. What happened to you, Ken? I don't know, but I'm at Christ. And he's washed me in his blood. What happened to you, Ken? I don't know, but I'm saved. I'm forgiven. And I've no weight on my shoulders. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest, he says. He said that. It's the words of Christ. The wonderful Christ. The beautiful Christ. The marvelous Christ. The prevailing Christ. The glorious Christ. Do you know what this word in verse 8 means? Verse 8 when he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness at the bones which thy hast broken may rejoice. See the word rejoice? I'm out of breath, am I? <laughs> Listen, so you talk about him. I love speaking on prophecy. I love to. I love warning about what's happening in the nation. I love doing that. I love feeding a flock. and I love talking about spiritual matters like this morning. I love doing all that. But do you see whenever I get down to brass tacks about him? About him? I. You know, we talk about Holy Ghost meetings. So do I. I'm a Pentecostal, as I said. I love Holy Ghost meetings. I love the gifts of the Spirit. I love all of that. I love the praise and the worship and all the things that go with that. I love it all. But listen, it's not about a Holy Ghost meeting. I'd rather go to hear a a, a Christ-enamored preacher. One who loves him. Oh, let me close with this. Where was I? Yes, this word, rejoice in verse 8, it's the word gil. gives the idea to draw a circle. I was going, rejoice. Hey, I've looked up all different, all different Hebrew, and I, I tried to find it on the Septuagint, and I found different ideas. That's the Old Testament and Greek, and 
I've, I've tried my best to look up different writers and commentary, and this is the best I could find. It means to go in a circle. It means to spin around under the influence of any violent emotion. You know? Listen, let's read, for, let's read the verse. Make me to hear joy. You're forgiven. Gladness. You're mine. I've redeemed you. I've washed you. I've cleansed you. I've purged you with hyssop. Pastor was on this morning. I have it there. I'm not going any further on. He says, I've done all of this for you. He says, if you make me to hear this, Lord, then I know that I'm forgiven. I feel the weight of my sin. It's no longer before me nor on me, but you've taken it from me. Then he says, I will rejoice. Gives the idea to run down. Remember the Ark of the Covenant was being brought in? Remember they brought it in in a cart? Yusha touched it and the Lord smote him. Remember they put it in the Philistines, took it, and the old Philistines took hemorrhoids and all because of it? Do you remember that? Ooh. There was no preparation in the then either, you know? And the, <laughs> you know? Those are, remember they took those and they made we, 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 we idols of hemorrhoids, eh? <laughs> I wonder how they got the photograph of them. And who knows they get an example? And they put them with it as if this is going to heal it. Man tries to add to it, you see. Man wants to bring it. This is what I think God will help you with. This is what the Philistines done. But David read oh, I was coming in the shoulders of the priests through staves and a blood sacrifice. And we're, we're told David went six paces. Blood sacrifice. Blood sacrifice. Before I'm going to walk off the stage. Blood sacrifice for about a mile and a half. Thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of blood everywhere. And the priest was on their feet and was up their legs. was on their garments. It was all over them. They were all covered in the blood. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But it says David danced before the ark. He was so joyful that that which represented the presence of God in Israel. A picture of the perfect Christ. It says he danced before the Lord. And the idea is he was like this. Spinning around in circles. It was the rejoicing of his heart. Lord, if you make me hear joy and gladness again, which when you've broken my bones, you're crushing me, then I will rejoice when this is lifted off me. There's nothing like knowing your sins are forgiven. There's nothing like knowing you're under the blood. There's nothing like knowing you know Christ is your Savior. There's nothing like it. Oh, you see, we don't want to get all reverent about it. <laughs> want to take a drink, is not what I want to do. So I close with this. I said that before, didn't I? Last one was a false alarm. <laughs> I will do. Thank you for your attention and your attendance tonight. Joy of salvation, eh? You know, First Peter 1 and 8, you know what he says? Of being found in Christ. He says, it's joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy unspeakable. The hymn writer writes that first, but he writes, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. And the half, half never yet been told. <laughs> Listen, there's more ahead of us. There's more ahead of us in Christ. There's more ahead for us. 
Nehemiah 8. End of, in verse 10, the end of the verse, you know what he says to them? Nehemiah shouts to the Judah, or Judah, in the book of Nehemiah, pardon me, as, as the priest is shouting home to Judah. He says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. David said, I've lost my joy, I've no strength. You know why you've no strength? You've lost the awe. You've lost the amazement. You've lost the astonishment of being in Christ. Of being his. I asked the group this morning, turn, keep the song 50 on. Group, would you come up? Team, would you come up, please? This is Israel's songbook. See here, the Psalms here. And from verse 10, verse 11, and verse half of verse 12, there's an old course I asked them. If I hope that you are all right with it. I've asked them to sing it. So, Jeff, would you move it along as we're going through this, will you please? Verse 10, 11, and 12. And if you know it, I want you to sing it. 